0: Welcome to Development Insights by Choice Hotels Canada, the podcast where we discuss the topics currently facing our franchisees and the hospitality industry at large. In this special live episode, recorded at Choice Hotels Canada's 2022 Fall Conference in Niagara Falls, our National Director of Franchise Development, Graham Marsh, discusses the recent perspectives on hotel valuations and the future of hospitality investment with a panel of experts. Including Brian Flood, Executive Vice President and Practice Leader, Hospitality and Gaming Group Canada at Cushman Wakefield, Monique Rozelle, Senior Managing Partner at HBS, and Alam Pirani, Executive Managing Director at Collier's Hotels. Together, they discuss the factors determining how hotels are valued today within the context of pandemic recovery and the revenue impact over the past two years. Please enjoy the presentation.
1: As we continue to evolve out of the pandemic, if, if we can put ourselves there, where do we see values going, coming off of where we were going into the pandemic? And then, you know, where do you see things in terms of, like, what's driving that direction? And maybe we'll start, keep it easy, Brian, you on the, sure. uh, on the end.
2: <laughs> uh, good afternoon, everybody. Um, so where we are, clearly we're in the midst of recovery. I mean, as you probably know, value is really driven by income. And so depending on where that income is, that directly impacts on value. So pre-pandemic, things were great every year, a little bit better than the last year. Through 2021, clearly significant drops, virtually no income in a lot of cases. So it creates a bit of a quandary, then where are our values? Difficult to answer that question since we had very few trades through that, uh, the deepest part of the pandemic. Where we are now is looking at significant growth through this year and beyond. So we have escalating income. And so uh, the way we typically approach valuation is really to look at performance of the hotel over time. So uh, it's difficult to look at it just on a snapshot basis. You really do need to look at it over time because that's where the value is. It's in the longer term prospects of that hotel. So we usually rely on discounted cash flow. It's a little more complex way to look at properties, but I think it's really the only way you can account for the growth that we're seeing and the changes in the market. And we are beginning to see more trades, which is the other way we look at it too, is just really look at you know what's transacting in the market just on a very simplistic basis. What are uh, hotels trading at? And I'm sure Alan will um, speak to that a little more. So our outlook is quite positive, continuing uh, income growth, recognizing that there's some bumps in the road this year, next year with inflation and rising interest rates. But the long-term outlook, I think, is very good. And so I think we'll continue to see value enhancement.
3: So basically, on what Brian was saying was valuation is based on the income coming into properties, but it's also based on uh, lending parameters. That's a big function of where where the value is derived from as well. So basically, from the cash flow perspective, we have at HPS, we've basically just thrown out 20 and 21. We don't even look at 20 and 21, Typically pre-COVID. Your appraisal would have been based on your trailing 12 cash flow. That's not the case right now. What we do is we go back to how you performed in 2019, and that is the benchmark that we expect you to get back to. So people that are afraid because their cash flows in 2020 and 2021 have not been there, that doesn't play a role. We don't look at those. Everybody knows that was COVID. And in terms of historical cap rates, same thing. In the garbage, they mean nothing in 20 and 21 because the performance wasn't there. And I'm just talking about historical cap rates, which is 100% based on your historical revenue. So going forward, we're looking at the going forward revenues. It's a discounted cash flow. We have to do it that way. And obviously, Because of COVID, typically when you open a property, we have to ramp you up in the market until you get to a stabilized level of occupancy. But because of COVID, what we're having to do is not ramp up the property, but ramp up the market back to where it was. Now, obviously, what's happening in 22 with these tremendously great cash flows and a lot of markets, like I just looked at the last weekly, Canada as a country, our REVPAR is higher than 2019 now, which is just great. It depends market by market, obviously urban markets, their rev pars are not back to where they were in 2019 because they don't have the compression from the meeting and group demand, but it will get there. We're seeing a lot of this fall, a lot of conference demand, just like us here, and the question is are we going to get those big international conventions but in terms of values in terms of the lending parameters we saw a little bit of compression in terminal cap rates and now with the increase in inflation and interest rates we're seeing a little bit higher discount rates coming out but it's sort of mitigating one and the other and our values now are looking at 2019 levels or above?
4: You know, one of the things that we saw through uh, the pandemic was uh, was virtually no activity in 2020. And part of that was because there's no transparency in terms of where the market was going. So as Monique said, when you look at valuation, 2020 and 2021, frankly, no no, no relevancy to those numbers. It was really 18 and 19, and depending on when your peak year was, really formed the basis of valuation. And then I think the interesting thing is you could have these theoretical assessments of how valuation is, but I think we saw clear evidence at, in the latter part of last year, 21, where we saw a tremendous amount of, of transaction activity. And I thought it would be interesting just to share some of the stats with you because e- even year-to-date, this uh, the third quarter results. So if you look at, uh, you know, arguably, if you say 2019 was the, was the peak, we had about $1.6 billion of transaction ac- activity across the country. And that's everything over a million dollars that we track, right? And if you look at that relative to, that was 1.76 billion. You look at that in 2021, it was $1.97 billion. Now, a good portion of that, I would say probably 500 million of that was for change of use. So you gotta strip those numbers off because those weren't transactions from a hotel owner to a hotel, someone that was gonna continue the, the existing use. So even if you strip that number out, it's still a respectable number. And, and then, you know, year to date at the end of third quarter, this year we're probably trending to about 965 million dollars, and you compare that to last year it was about a billion dollars, and if you compare that to 2019 third-quarter results, it was 1.2. I think if you look at that, yes, it's a little lower, but I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of product availability in the market. You know, everyone sat through and and, and actually were able to sustain their holdings through 2020 and 2021, and now they're reaping the benefits of good cash flow. So I think it, it frankly is a function of the lack of available product. But you know, as you bring it back to the valuation perspective, I think as Monique said and Brian said as well, you're seeing in some markets valuations exceeding 2019 values.
2: And I know we've spoken, but there's good demand for hotel investment product. I was talking to one of my colleagues in you know they were in discussions with some institutional investors and hotels are actually a favorite asset you know hotels have the ability and and i think what investors see is the run up in adr this year and so i think they see it really as you know hotels being a good hedge you have that ability to move prices you know we compared to other asset classes which are pretty static you know, retail or office, you're locked in on leases, you're running with high vacancy. But uh, I, th- I think hotels, multi-res, student housing is another sector that we look at, and they have the ability to raise their rents. And a- again, huge demand in that sector too.
4: Yeah, there's, there's no question when you look at uh, where debt cost is today. And I think your point is is, you not only have the ability to move your rates on a daily basis, it's on a real-time basis. So every hour, mm-hmm. you have that ability to move the rate. There isn't another asset class that you can do that in. And today, when you look at where debt costs are for multifamily, for industrial, your investors are putting money out on a negative leverage basis. So, you know, if your cap rate's a, a four and your cost of capital is five, I mean, they're still putting money out because it's a long-term game and, and eventually things are mm-hmm. gonna come back. But I think the, the our asset class, the hospitality, there's no shortage of capital chasing product. It's really a function of the availability of good product. I'm just going to break away from the script already because the one thing I
1: know from the, my past experience and, and tracking it, even as a development guy at Choice, is what happens, and I think Monique, you and I have talked about this in the past, where market price is what somebody has paid, that the price is the the determined value based on what the transaction was. Value is sort of based on the reporting of the properties that have sold. So when the needle's moving faster than the banks can react and you're doing appraisal reports on properties and then Alum's trying to sell things based on what somebody would pay, like I can just see the the confusion for owners based on what people are being offered, back to the cross-referencing of what they need to see on paper to get the financing. Where do you sort of see that going?
4: It's just just gotta keep them on speed dial, right? Keep them (laughs) on speed dial. (laughs) Just keep them on speed dial and make sure we're all aligned. Right,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right. Yes, exactly. so we talked, like at Choice Hotels, we saw a steady growth of um, new-build uh, properties across the country, a bunch of deals uh, signed but also sidelined due to you know, the increased you know, costs of construction and, and interest rates. So, so for Brian and Monique, given the increased costs of construction, interest rates and the overall effects of inflation, are feasibility studies able to reach the numbers that can justify the expense of a new building? and maybe start with
2: I'm going to duck that. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll go second. <laughs>
3: okay. Okay. So, in this environment, there's no question that the feasibility studies are the most challenging in terms of looking at the value. And there are two aspects. Obviously, it's the construction costs and then it's, you have a double whammy going on here with proposed properties because with a proposed property, in normal times, you would be ramping up that property to its stabilized level of operation, both in occupancy and rate. But with a post or a recovery period, we're not only ramping up the proposed property, but we're ramping up the market as well because the markets, are, most of them, Not all, but most of them are not at their true potential. So you've got ramp up on top of ramp up. You've got high construction costs. And so there is no question that it is challenging. But I will tell you that we're doing a tremendous amount of feasibility work. And it is market specific. And there are markets that haven't had a lot of new supply in the last three or four years, and particularly during COVID so there's no question market by market there are projects today that are feasible make economic sense and i was just talking to one of my clients and he's doing quite a bit of development in these times and the way that he's doing it is (coughs) modular build and the modular build because it's in a controlled environment that they can control the labor control a lot more things that in this era of shortage of manpower and high construction costs. I mean, your costs are the same in modular, but your cash flows, everybody knows from day one that you get cash flows a lot sooner with modular. So it is definitely a way to look at doing development that because of these times you may not have considered before, but there are projects being built, no question.
2: Yeah, I would similarly, I mean, I, I would say it really depends very much depends on the market and and the product that's being proposed. You know, costs are clearly an issue, although I think they are beginning to soften a little bit as supply chain issues dissipate. And and I think the brands, quite frankly, have done a great job value engineering uh, prototypes. And so I I think they're making it a little more attractive. But, you know, you, you can't forget that in a lot of markets that, you know, the barriers to entry are so high so if you're in a downtown location or even an urban market, I mean, if you look at what's happened to um, uh, land pricing, I mean, it's just gone off the charts. I mean, in, in the GTA, you could be looking at 3 or $4 million an acre, uh, which makes it pretty tough to justify building a hotel. And, and then you add on top of that development charges. Again, a huge barrier. So, you know, where I think we see more opportunity is actually in smaller tertiary markets And as Monique said, you know, there's a lot of old uh, stock out there. I mean, there are markets that haven't had a hotel built in, you know, over 20 years. And so, you know, those do present an opportunity. And I I think as well that some of these tertiary markets, depending on what the local drivers are, there's certainly enough demand there. I mean, if you look at uh, Northern Ontario, I think we were talking about some of these towns up along the Trans-Canada, you know, there's huge demand. You know, there's tremendous activity in mining, in the resource sector, that's driving a lot of that demand. And I think Thunder Bay was actually one of the best markets in the country uh, all through the pandemic. So it's kind of ironic, those markets that people would shy away from. In the past, everybody wanted to be in the big urban areas downtown. You know, the guys that were out in those small markets actually fared uh, better through the pandemic. So Yeah, there are lots of opportunities.
1: Alan, this is going to be a tricky one. (laughs) So the pandemic saw revenues fall across all classes of hotels throughout the entire pandemic, and here we are. From a real estate standpoint, have hotels maintained
4: their value? Yeah, I think to the extent that someone was uh, motivated to sell during the pandemic, I think that you may have seen some value erosion. And it's interesting, in 2020, it was a very slow year in terms of transaction activity. And you know, I think what's a good barometer is if you look at the deals that were under contract, not firm, and where they ended up closing. And Brian, you and Monique, I think we've talked about this as well. We saw discounts of anywhere from 15 to 20 percent max, right? Those were deals that you know a seller had committed, a buyer had put it under contract, but not gone firm, right? So they got repriced. And if you fast forward to 2021, when the market started, we started seeing some visibility market started picking up, absolutely no discount. So it was a very short period of time where we saw discounts. You can count, uh, you know, in a couple of hands uh, how many deals really got repriced, because if you weren't motivated to, to sell, you're, you're not going to allow a, a reprice on a deal, right? right? So, and, you know, again, today where, where things are at, these folks mentioned that. I think in some markets you're seeing values surpass 2019 numbers. So, so I think it was a very short period of time where you saw in very specific situations where there was a discount. Otherwise, I think values have maintained.
2: It's it's kind of interesting. I know you were around in the early nineties and I think we all were, but I mean if you contrast 20 yeah. and 21 compared to you know the recession in the early nineties, I mean it's like night and day. You know, in the early nineties it was a bit more protracted. You know, I think lender giveaway
4: hotels, early nineties. So yeah, that. I
2: mean I mean I remember we used to value them and lots of them we just priced at twenty thousand a room. You know, lenders wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger. They'd go power sale. There were all, there was you know a lot of transactions through that period at huge discounts. So I think the markets are far more disciplined this time around, and so the fallout really wasn't anywhere near the extent that we would have seen previously.
4: And, and I think you know Brian, you make a good point. I think if you and, and Monique was talking about the the financing cost and the support that lenders have provided, if you look at what we went through 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 the pandemic. It was government support, obviously, that, was, that helped everyone, but also lenders were very supportive. They did not want to be in a situation where they, they became the owners, and I think that that's really a big distinct difference between our market and the markets in the U.S. We are talking to someone earlier. You, you, if you look at the capital markets in the U.S. today, banks have virtually shut down financing. The only financing that's available in, in the U.S. today is either private equity firms or you have debt funds, and their costs are well over 10%. It's in the teens, right? So I think from that perspective, and it, it's and not to say that that's going to go on forever, because I think these banks in the US, they're going to have to put the money out. The problem is they just don't know where to price it. So the minute there's stability and there's transparency, you'll see them come back with a vengeance. But I think in Canada, where you look at the maturity of our market, and Brian was talking about uh, what happened in the early 90s, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. a result of a lot of banks losing money because of unsophisticated deal structures. You had a lot of limited partnerships in the 80s. You had unsophisticated capital that were buying at and, and putting high leverage and so you had all these Schedule A banks and trust companies go under or take back hotels and I think where the difference is today is you've got a very mature lending market today not only have Schedule A banks you got the credit unions you got all sorts of financial institutions that are supportive and I think that that also helps establish value right. or maintain value.
5: So my question was, I guess, with the labor shortage, I know I, we're, we're frustrated with, with you know shortage of labor. Uh, I think a lot of people that have been in this business, I'm a third generation hotel operator and we're to the point where it's getting to us. And I think we're all in the same boat. Do you see, I mean, more assets being put on the market because of that in 2023, 2024, because people are just tired of being in the business. And the other thing driving that is that we're seeing 2022 numbers that far surpassed 2019. So you're looking at it going, if I'm going to sell, now's the time to sell. What are your thoughts on that?
4: So so a couple of things there. The first is, I think that that whole COVID selling, I think that's passed, right? And I think people held on to their assets. But I do think that there's generally been owners, multi-unit owners that have started rationalizing their portfolio. So if you're you're having labor challenges, if you've got 10 hotels, you know, listen, I'm going to maintain five or I'm going to maintain seven, get rid of the the other three and I think that that's part and parcel of you know the fatigue that people have gone through in the challenges with labor but I also think that the other fact the other side of it is what's the type of product that actually fared well during COVID it's that focused service select service limited service right so I think that that's the type of product that people are going to be chasing and holding on to and you know I talk about the difference between the US market and Canada we have virtually no institutional ownership in Canada. If you look at the, the limited service and focused service product in the U.S., majority of the owners are institutional capital, so the Blackstones of the world and the Starwood. Why? Because that, that is resilient through tough times. From a labor perspective, it's not as difficult as running full-service hotels. But, you know, having said that, you know, resorts are also in, in flavor, right? So do I think that there's going to be a flood of product in the market? I don't think so. We've never seen that in Canada. Too small a market. And I also think the other thing is there's always new entrants coming in, right? So there's always going to be buyers that are graduating from smaller operating businesses, gas stations, whatever, into, you know, buying hotels. So I, I think that supply demand is always going to be met. In fact, I think, frankly, today it's a seller's market. There's virtually, in Ontario, there's virtually nothing
1: available for sale. I don't want to run out of time, and it always happens with, uh, with Q&A. So although I have a couple more prepared questions, are th- is there any, anyone in the room with questions while we've got mm-hmm. these panelists? I see, I I see a couple hands going yeah. up. Thanks. Adam? So with,
5: we all know, interest rates are going up, inflation, heavy inflation pressures, cost of builds going up. So owner's cash flow at the bottom line is either s- is going down after debt. Are we finding that buyers are more... Willing to accept lower cap rates now in the market?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually, uh, one of my colleagues in the U.S. just sent uh, sent me a presentation, and uh, had some interesting uh, data looking at cap rates and interest rates over the past twenty years. And there's really not a lot of correlation between cap rates and interest rates. Um, there is in an, in an indirect way, but not not a direct correlation. And so I think you know the period we're in right now. I think you know, will be relatively short-term. And as I was saying earlier, really, the, the, the value of the property is really based on the performance over time. We normally look at a, a 10-year investment horizon, and so you really need to look at it over that period of time. You know, there's gonna be a couple of years, like the first couple of years, cash flows are gonna be a bit lower, but they're going to increase um, significantly uh, over that 10 years, and that's really where the value resides. So I. I don't think there's a lot of discounting going on right now because of interest rates, but I'll defer to Alam on that.
4: Yeah, to to answer your question specifically about cap rates, are people prepared to pay lower cap rates? I think that was what you were asking. Notwithstanding where your cost of capital is going, I think return expectations have changed, and it depends on who the the buyer pool is. So if you look at the, the, the traditional, more established groups they tend to not be as competitive because maybe they've got an existing portfolio they don't need to. But my point about new entrants in the market is a very valid one. I mean, a new guy coming into the market, some some guy has a 12, you know, 10 or 12 percent cash-on-cash return expectation. Some people will do it at five or six. It doesn't matter. It's better than leaving it in the bank, right? I'm not trying to rationalize that it, that uh, that it's okay, but I do think people's cost of return expectations are different. And, and you know the other thing you have to keep in mind is in place cash flow today. And you know these folks made that comment. It's irrelevant. It's really what you think is going to happen in the next five years. And, and, and I think that uh, that's the one thing about our sector, and that's why there continues to be so much optimism and on the capital side, on the investment side, people, notwithstanding what's happening with interest rates, there's there's no shortage of capital looking to invest.
3: One one thing that I've really noticed is that. Hotels, historically, people looked at them purely from a business perspective in terms of those cash flows, but over time, they're being looked at also from a real estate perspective where the land value is playing a greater and greater role in hotels, and so it's it's not just the cash flow or the business, but to be able to own a hotel in that location and have that value of land and that is going to escalate, continue to grow the way that we've seen land prices grow and you're seeing institutions going out and buying massive amounts of land in secondary and tertiary markets, whether it's for industrial, whether it's for residential growth. So I do think that the land component of hotels is being looked at in a different way than it once was.
2: I mean, I think that speaks to that challenge of operating in an urban environment. You know, we did see quite a number of hotels transact for alternate uses. But in I think more often than not, those were usually, I would call them economically obsolete hotels. They were in great locations. There was obviously tremendous underlying value. And so people like City of Vancouver, BC Housing, City of Toronto, those transactions worked for them. And they were willing to pay a, a premium to be in those uh, central locations.
4: And, and that was the half a billion dollars of transaction activity that you needed to strip out of the yeah. 21 numbers because it, it is it is deceiving. But you know the other, to, to to the other point that I think is is interesting is it's not just downtown markets but also the the, the outlying markets around the downtown. This hu- housing crisis that we're going to go through and there's going to be one in in, in for example in, in the city of Toronto, is going to help everyone uh, on the outskirts. Just you know, highest and best use may not just be a hotel. Y- your land is gonna be a hell of a, wa- lo- you know, worth yeah. a lot more. And and we've seen
1: that in our own system, yeah. obviously, with, I can think of three right off the top of my head, you know, Waterloo being one of them where the properties yep. have been pulled out and great value for the for the owners. But any other questions? So we got Sean.
5: I was, I was, yeah, I was gonna follow up with the cap rate. I guess there really is no no cap rate that you would look at I guess it depends on market is that how you look at a cap rate and if you look at cap rate versus per key when you're valuing your hotel is there a an industry standard for cap rate or is there an industry set standard if you're valuing
4: your hotel key so these guys are gonna have a lot more theoretical answer than mine you know mine's gonna be like this but but no I I do think that it's product specific and market specific so what we do is we publish cap rate reports where we'll talk about you know for limited service, focused service, or full service in specific markets, what are the ranges? Because I, I do think you have to look at them in, in, the, in terms of ranges there. It's, it's very difficult to say. Listen, if you have an urban centerized location in downtown, you know I could tell you it's a four cap, irrespective of, of anything else. You could say four to five, and that's the number. But I think the ranges get a little broader depending on the product and the location. If
1: I was a betting man, I think Sean will be swarmed in the hallway after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like there could be some and hotels. I mean, Northern Ontario, if that <laughs> <laughs> There could be a stampede looking for that bald guy, not this bald guy. So. Yeah.
2: I, I always find cap rate a bit of a misnomer yes. because people throw rates around. And, you know, my first question is always, what are you capitalizing, right? I mean, the cap rate's one part of the equation. The other part is the income. And so where, and where is that income relative to where it was in 19 or where it's going to be two years from now? Clearly, you know, someone looking to acquire today will probably be fairly aggressive on the cap rate today because they know in two or three years their rate of return is going to increase pretty substantially. So I, I always get a little, yeah. you know, when people yeah. toss cap it's, it's rate around. It's the balancing
4: of the, the revenue multiplier with the price per room and the cap yeah. rate. That's really what, you know, the three metrics that I think we, we all use. Yeah.
3: But you also have to be very careful when they talk about cap rates. Is it after management fees? Is it after reserve for replacement? Like, it really needs to be well-defined before it has any meaning. Yeah, That's open that
1: way. Yeah. So. The one question I have, you know, other than having you know an exceptionally strong Canadian-based uh, <laughs> franchise system behind you, what are other ways that hotel owners, anybody in the room could explore to increase the value of their the hotels they currently own?
3: I would say right now, There are significant cash flows out there, capital, 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 into your properties. We've had two years of not a lot of new supply, and for anybody from Ontario here, prior to COVID, we were on a really strong new supply trajectory, so we're seeing all these deals coming back to life. Historically, there's been about 1% new supply across the country in the last 10, 15 years. In the next four years, we're more in the 2 to 2.5 because projects have been shelved and they're coming back to life. There's gonna be more inventory out there. Could be certain projects that are canceled because it, the numbers just don't make sense. The way that some projects are coming forward are mixed use. They're combining them with condos, they're combining them with apartments, and they're able to to make the numbers work that way. So if you can get capital into your property when you have the cash flows, that's a good thing. The other is you've got to control costs. You've got to do your best. Some of those efficiencies that you've, you've managed to do during COVID, if you can keep... Doing some of them, like, you know, whether it's self-check-in, whether it's technology helping out for labor, you know, the labor shortage, to try and keep some of those efficiencies to help with that bottom line. The third thing I would say is keep a really good relationship with your lenders because that communication is so important, and you want to make sure that you're on side with your lender at all times because, you know, we're in a volatile situation. times, but I think if you can keep costs under control, put capital in, and and keep a good relationship with your lender, that it it puts you in a pretty strong position with any new competition coming in.
2: Similarly, I I think capital is is really important. Um, It's actually a, a point I should have thought of when we were talking about valuations today versus previously, because you know, in a lot of cases, um, capital has been deferred. And so, you know, most of the brands, I think, were pretty forgiving and, and let people defer uh, any property improvements, but that's changing. And so, you know, a lot of times now when we look at a property, you know, we know that there is going to be a, a significant, uh, you know, uh, amount of CapEx coming up in the next two or three years. And again, you know, really the only way you can account for that is, is through discounted cash flow, right? It's looking at that cost impacting uh, on, the, on the value today. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, there's uh, an old saying, penny wise, pound foolish. And so, you know, I think it is really important to maintain the property. Um, that's critical. I think beyond that, I mean, know your customers, understanding their, you know, requirements and, and staying in touch with them. Social media is is such a big part of you know, the market today that responding to customers, if it's a complaint, respond to it. Yeah, and I think Monique's point about cost cutting, you know, there's been tremendous efficiencies created over the last two years. But, you know, now that demand is coming back, you know, it's going to be increasingly difficult to run a lean mean uh, operation. Customers, particularly at the higher rates they're paying today, do expect some service. I always think of um, somebody who told me years ago that you know the only difference between a four and a five-star hotel, for the most part, is service, right? The physical plant isn't that much different. It's really all about the service.
4: Yeah, I, listen. I think these guys adequately covered it, but you know, just to reiterate the point about capital. I think we have all seen this through downturns. Those that don't invest hard in their assets uh, are the ones that the with the slowest recovery in in terms of pickup. And I think that that's important. And you know, Brian made the point, the, the other thing is when you talk about valuation and if you have deferred capital, it's a, it's a direct deduct off your value when someone's looking at it. If you've got a PIP or you haven't done any work in, in, the, in the recent past, it's a deduct off your value. Automatic, yeah.
3: One last point, keep driving rates. <laughs> Just remember, every dollar of ADR that you get, it goes straight to the bottom line. Every point of occupancy, you've got expenses involved you've got you a shortage of labor issues, oh you got to pay the franchise yeah. yeah but if it comes from <laughs> ADR rock it's all good right <laughs> so so if you can keep those rates no matter what up there i like brian's comment why can't we be first this morning in terms of inflationary. Um, uh, yeah inflationary yeah. growth so that's the best thing and it's very strange because in most recessions hoteliers haven't been able to recuperate the average rate before the occupancy. It's once the occupancy came back, they were able to get the compression that they needed to push rate. And in this situation, we're pushing the rates without the occupancy being there. So it's really, if everybody plays the same game, we're good, or we're better. We're not good, we're better.
1: Anyways, I want to thank you guys. It's, it's On a closing note, is there anything that uh, you'd want to say in terms of like, if somebody picks up the phone and calls uh, Cushman, for example, and is looking for, for a feasibility study on a new-build hotel, easiest advice you would offer them, it, would it be, is it location, location, or is it truly, if it doesn't pencil out because of what you're going to pay per acre? I guess if somebody were to call and say, where do I start, what, where do you go?
2: Yeah, it's, it's really all of the above, right? It's the market. It's the type of product, the positioning of the property. So it, it's all of those things. No,
3: I would say, um, Northern Ontario, modular build, hope you're the GC. G-seed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. the, the other one, uh, the cost-wise.
3: Historically, there hasn't been a difference in cost. They were, they were very equivalent. It's the same composition. However, now, because of the shortage of, of labor in construction as well, The fact that you build it in a contained environment, there's less unknown. I know hotels that are three quarters built, and they're waiting for some windows, or they're waiting for this, or they're waiting for that, and it's just held up. When you get modular build, everything is there. You don't have those those supply holdups. So historically, the price has, the cost has been about the same, but you get your cash flowing after six, seven, eight months as opposed to potentially 12 months. Right. So that's where the benefit is, but in this particular environment, what I'm hearing from my clients is that it appears to be more feasible for modular build at this point. Right now, to build a limited service hotel, you're anywhere between that hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 a room. So depending on the type of hotel, the amenities, the land costs, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you're into a huge land savings when you get further north, as you know, yeah. you know whether you're serviced land, building septics into hotels, yeah. we're seeing more and more now, not chasing serviced land, but. It's a seller's market
2: right now. It's sellers are asking $5. Well, when we go to the lenders, the lenders are, are resistant and they're saying we're gonna go 60%. How do you close the gap is it vendor take back? are there sellers willing to do that and what do you see approximately for vendor take back rates like are they five six percent
4: yeah so so that that is how you bridge the gap you know particularly in a time when there wasn't uh, we didn't see the transparency in cash flow and and typically if you were you know you you know if you were historically getting 65 percent loans of value and you're down to 55 from a senior lender you go and get another 10 or 15 points from a, from the seller and 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 you know I think it's not mes-money cost, it, it's you're doing peri pursue with what your senior cost is because it's to facilitate a transaction. And The way we've been able to rationalize it to, to sellers is that if you don't want to experience a discount in order to maintain your value, this is how you bridge it. And, and it, you know it doesn't work in, in every situation, but in a lot of situations it's worked. And the other thing to keep in mind is depending on the, the circumstances as well is there's the ability to to defer some capital gains when you do something like that, right? So structuring is always important.
2: Are you seeing much like in share purchase, or is it more
4: asset? Share purchase is, is again, very specific to the needs of the seller. But uh, yeah, there have been quite a few share purchase transactions. There's obviously savings with land transfer tax, but then you've got to work out the inherent costs on on recapture and all of that stuff. But uh, there are situations where, you know, actually to be, you know, now that I think about it, in the recent past, there's been more share deals that we've done. Than, than prior to this this cycle that we've gone through
5: vendor takeback mortgages are you seeing when anybody sells I think because of the way traditionally I know that uh, banks have been kind of reluctant when it comes to the hotel industry if we are interested in selling are you seeing most deals with a vendor take back
4: I wouldn't say most as a, the point I made earlier I think in order to facilitate a transaction because of the conservative you know lending environment to facilitate a transaction some sellers are Amenable to to you know providing some vendor financing. Now you're talking about as a senior lender or or to just to facilitate a, a second piece. No second piece. Yeah, second piece. You know again a lot more people doing it now than ever before.
3: And Alan, what what rate would you say is market for VTVs?
4: Well, you, you know historically, if someone wanted second finance, second mortgage financing, it'd be in the tens and twelves. It's not there. You, you know, like I said earlier, it's pretty pursue with your senior costs. You, you, you may get you know, 100, 200 basis points spread over that, but it, it's, it's not about the interest rate. It's about, OK, maintaining your value, and that's why I'm going to help facilitate the transaction. Because you know, in an environment where you don't have a lot of cash flow, how, how are you going to be able to even rationalize that? It's another thing getting your lender on side, right? Your senior lender. There, a lot of lenders are restricting second mortgages. So then you get a little creative and structure.
1: OK.
5: Oh, Mark? Usually, on, on a debt perspective, Lenders are looking at the TTMs, so provided in 2008, 2019, it can service the debt based on what you're borrowing today. They also look at your TTM, so if the TTM is a bit shy to what the lender is looking for from a debt service coverage, that's where the VTB would come into play. If the TTMs are strong enough or the right direction to hit a debt service coverage, then most institutions will give you the full pop of 65% loan to cost. And then if you look at the stabilization value, because you have your as-is value that all being well equates to your purchase, if your stabilization value is up by 10 or 15%, provided your, that amount the senior has given to you plus the BTB is aligned with 65% of the end value, then the lender will be pretty amicable.
1: What's exciting about that is we're going to carry that on probably at the next panel discussion because <laughs> so we have uh, the next development uh, panel later this afternoon is on access to capital. So I think the fact that we've got these three experts up front here talking about valuations and then, you know, where your value is at and then where a buyer's ability to, to access that capital to facilitate these deals is sort of a flowing conversation. So, yeah, even if you guys want to stick around, I'm sure there's questions that can crossover for you later as well otherwise i want to thank uh thank everybody brian monique alum it was great having you here thank you
0: that concludes hotel valuations past present and future the first of our two-part live special thank you very much for listening this has been development insights with choice hotels canada you can find the show notes in the description of this episode or to learn more about the podcast and choice hotels you can visit us at www.choicehotelsdevelopment.com.